to be able to kind of follow, follow along with where uh, the different books take place. Because the, uh, the, what we see on here is that if you look at your Bible and you look at the, uh, the way that the books are in order, that doesn't follow the timeline. So for you to be able to uh, understand a little bit easier, we put this together so you can see kind of where uh, historically the different books were happening. And so today we're going to start with the book of Hosea, as uh, you might have noticed, probably one of the more awkward uh, readings that we've, we've read between that one and maybe if we've ever gone through Song of Solomon, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But this one is, it was a, a challenging one for me to come up with, trying to figure out words that I would be able to use for an audience of younger and older, and trying to figure out, because uh, we've got at least a, a little tiny guy over there, a little tiny one. So, so I wanted to keep the words appropriate for them. Uh, but kind of wanted to start by sharing a story about Heidi and I. One of the things that we did when we were, uh, before we had kids, uh, that was kind of fun and exciting that we, we really enjoyed is we, we went on a, a trip to Europe. So we, we did the backpacking and trains and everything, and we, uh, we did it for an entire month, and uh, we kind of just went. And the, one of the reasons why we wanted to do that is because Heidi's family, her grandparents came from the Netherlands. So they, they made their way over here when uh, they were in their, uh, their teens and, and uh, er, uh, young adults' uh, age. And so uh, we wanted to, to kind of connect with Heidi's family that was still out there. And so we, we flew into London, we took a train from London to Brussels, and then we took a train from Brussels to Amsterdam. And that's when things kind of got a little hairy. Because we had been going uh, to places, one that spoke uh, either French or English, and I, and I spoke uh, English mostly, and, and though I don't really understand what they were saying as well uh, in, in England, but uh, I also took French in high school, and so I kind of vaguely knew at least where I was going, but we didn't know Dutch. We had that going against us. We also, we didn't have uh, a cell phone. We had that going against us, and we were inexperienced trained travelers. Not to mention, we were going to the place called Groningen, Netherlands. Ever heard of it? Okay, a handful of people have heard of it, probably because you've got relatives out there, right? <laughs> I jumped on a train that said something Groningen, and we had a time, we had a date and a location to meet Heidi's relatives. And out there with like a sign and everything saying our names. Like, hey, come, come to us. We're strangers. We'll take you in, right? And so that's what we did. We, we jumped on this train and we start going. And we didn't speak Dutch, but we could kind of, we were listening to, for whenever the conductor would get on the, uh, the, the PA system and say, Grown again. Next exit, right? And so we're listening for that, and we're listening for that, and we're listening for that, and we're listening for that. And we're, it's beautiful, right? We're on the train, we get to see like the entire countryside, and we're, we're watching all of this, and it's great. And about 20 minutes after we were supposed to arrive at Gro- the Groningen train station, we're, we're looking at our watch, and we're like, what's going on? And so we, we try to hunt down somebody who speaks English, and we're like, hey, uh, we're trying to get to, to Groningen. And they look at us and give us this, this blank scare, stare. And I think, oh, man, th- something's getting lost in translation again. And they're like, no, 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 no. The train split like an hour and a half ago. 
You were supposed to be on the back. That takes you to Groningen. We're going the other direction. So we're in the Netherlands. We don't speak the language. We don't really understand what's going on. We don't have a way to contact. Uh, we have a phone number. And so we, we eventually we were able to, to contact them and say, hey, we're, we're a little ways away, uh, but we're, we're going to get on a bus and we're going to head back. We were about six hours late and uh, a few hundred miles out of, because after we knew that the train had split, we had to sit on the train just waiting because it wasn't stopping right when we wanted it to. So we sat and waited until the next stop, which was the end of the line, going the wrong direction, <laughs> right? And so we, we needed to be rerouted. We needed to go the other direction. We're, uh, we're looking at the book of Hosea, and the people of Israel needed to be rerouted. But we probably should start at the beginning, right? We should probably start, I don't know if you guys can see this, uh, but with a, a, a basic understanding of the Old Testament. Because throughout history, God had to reroute his people. He created Adam and Eve, Right? And they pursued the fruit in the garden instead of following God. Along the way, sin entered and people started thinking of only evil things all the time. And as a result, God had to reroute the people that he had created. He sent a worldwide flood and only Noah and his family were rescued uh, from this destruction. Later on, uh, they continued to, to wander. They continued to go the wrong direction, and people started forgetting about God. So God chose a, na- a guy named Abram, who later becomes Abraham. And he tells him, hey, leave your family, leave your, your household, and come follow me. And uh, I'm going to show you to a land that you don't even know yet, you don't even know where you're going, but you're going to go there. Just go and be obedient and through faith, follow me. So he leaves uh, a place called uh, Ur and and he heads on all the way down to what we now look at and say is Israel. A lot of different things happen along the way. But in this, there was a family that was called. Abraham was called and uh, if you can see the, the different names that are on there. Abraham uh, had a couple of sons, but Isaac was the one that uh, he was uh, blessing. And so he, uh, through, through Isaac, uh, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had many sons. And that, those became the 12 tribes of, of Israel, more or less. We have uh, the 12 tribes of Israel through the sons of Jacob. And there's this little person all the way at the top. I don't know if you can see, not all the way at the top, but uh, Joseph, who has Ephraim and Manasseh. And Joseph, God was truly blessing. God was showing favor on him. And not only that, but Jacob was showing favor. Uh, kind of an interesting thing. He became the son that all the other brothers kind of wished they were because he was the one that was the favorite. And God was blessing him, and Jacob knew that. And, and the brothers got frustrated, and they derailed, and they sold him into slavery. And 
in doing that, we should say, well, that's the end of the story, but it's not. God rerouted them. God rerouted Joseph. He actually showed him favor and blessing, and by way of prison, uh, he ends up saving him out of slavery, saving him out of prison, and sets him in second of commands of the people of Egypt. And in doing that, he actually provides food for all of the Middle East, and people were going to uh, Joseph and, in a sense, going to God to find food provisions during a great drought during that time. God rerouted them. Even though they meant harm on Joseph, it ended up being great for the people of Israel and great for Joseph. A few generations pass, and people had forgotten about God. And as they uh, forget about what God has done and they, they see that the Israelites were kind of being favored in the land of Egypt, they kind of get frustrated. The, the people of Egypt get frustrated and they're like, hey, we need to stop this. We're scared. We think they're going to take us over. And so they put them in slavery. Along the line, there's this guy, Moses, because uh, there was this, uh, this issue with the people of Egypt where they said, hey, let's just kill off the, first, or the, the, the sons of, of uh, the people of Israel, too. That'll help to, to lower their population so they won't be as great. And Moses, by God's rerouting, survives. Moses ends up taking through some crazy, amazing miracles, through uh, ten different plagues that happened to, to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, as well as other miracles along the way. The people from slavery in Egypt, bring them through the Red Sea on dry ground, get them all the way to the land that they were supposed to be in, in Israel. They were stuck. They were in a place they shouldn't have been. They were going the wrong direction, and God rerouted them, right? God continually reroutes, and God gave them a command, a, a moral code, a, a book of laws, and said, hey, if you guys are obedient to, to me, if you guys follow these laws and you guys are set apart, you can be a nation that changes the course of history. You guys can be a nation that can take the people who are not following God and be a light to them. But along the way, the people of Israel began to wander and go directions that they shouldn't do and they started doing what was right in their own eyes and everyone did what was right in their own eyes and at one point they even said hey every other nation around us has a king let's establish a king and so they created a king and said hey god we're, we're choosing this this guy as our king we want this guy that looks good to us but in his heart he wasn't following god the way that he should so god reroutes them again and gives them David, a man after God's own heart. And then they continue to do their own things. And even within the kingdom, there was a desire to do what somebody else wanted instead of doing what God wanted. And what we see here, it's just like a train schedule or train uh, uh, map. I don't know if you guys have ever jumped on the L or anything. It kind of looks like a train map to me. You see that there's a split, right? Instead of following God's plan, they decided they were going to split. And this is where it's helpful for you. Uh, 
over the, the course of the next 13 weeks, or the 12 weeks plus today, where we are going to be looking at the minor prophets, is that there are two different kingdoms that were established. There was a northern kingdom, and that would be uh, basically every color there except for the purple at the bottom and the orange. That's Judah. That's how it's going to be communicated. The southern kingdom or Judah. That's, uh, that's the southern kingdom. Everywhere else is northern kingdom. That's Israel. That's what we, we communicate as the northern kingdom. And so they were, uh, I don't know if you were Simeon, by the way. I don't know if you, can, if you look at this map. They really have no choice, right? <laughs> They're kind of stuck. It's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to separate from Israel. Uh, okay, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> we don't have any other option. We'll go with you, right? And so uh, we see that uh, in the, the northern kingdom, though, there were no good kings. For the, for the rest of this time, they have pursued their own desires. They pursued things that they shouldn't have. And God sends prophets to help reroute the course that they were going on. Israel got far off course. God called them to be a people that followed him, that were an example. God called them to be his people, but they were distracted. They pursued God's that led them away from the one true God, and they lost their love and made God their obligation. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this sometimes too. I do things because I have to. I show up to church in a suit to, to preach on a Sunday morning sometimes because I have to, though I actually am really excited about preaching today. Uh, you do things because you have to. You're sitting in a pew because sometimes you feel it's your duty, it's your responsibility, your obligation. And we start losing the love that we should have. And in following this duty and obligation, other things that start creeping up and becoming our love start distracting us along the way. The people of Israel weren't following God because they loved him. And that's why we see in the book of Hosea that God was rerouting the people of Israel. They were pursuing other loves. It was to the point where they were actually viewing God as their duty and their other gods, their other stuff, their, uh, the other things that were drawing them away, they were pursuing them like they were lovers. That's how God establishes this, this image, Right? Hosea 1 through 3 is a wonderful analogy of God's faithful love to Israel. All the while, Israel is pursuing those other things. Chapters 4 through 14 of Hosea, what we see in chapters 4 through 14 of Hosea are just excerpts from the preacher, from Hosea, communicating, hey, this is where you need to change, this is where you need to address, because God is communicating to him to communicate to the people. You need to stop pursuing these other lovers. You need to come back to me. And what we're going to see is that God is rerouting Israel. And I believe that if we read this passage and we put it into our lives and and, and take the principle that we're going to see from Hosea, it can change the way that we live too. 
Our culture is, uh, as Pastor Stuck was praying, right? Our culture we see is, some people say, already derailed. Some people say it's going the wrong direction, right? Our culture is not following God the way that it should follow God. And as a result, starting with us, we need to reroute. We need to turn. We need to, to follow God the way that God desires for us to follow him. And so if, if we take the principle that we're going to learn from Hosea and the, the other principles that we're going to see throughout the course of the next uh, few weeks over the summer, I believe that our relationship with God can be strengthened and we can grow in our faith. In Hosea chapter 3, we'll see truth about God, we'll see truth about humanity, and we'll see this principle that can change our life if we let it. Let's start by reading Hosea chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Side note, here's my proof that raisins are not good for you. (laughs) Just saying. I always thought, if you, you know, you grab the chocolate chip cookie and then you start to eat it and you find out that it's raisin? That's like Satan's work right there. Deception. They're pursuing sacred raisin cakes. Just kidding. Those, those were actually used as they were baked uh, for idol worship. And so they would bring them to the different idols and they would set them down. But please, chocolate chip, not raisin. All right, so I, uh, so they, (laughs) let's go back. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man. And I will love, I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his, uh, and to his blessing in the last days. Father, I pray that you would take this passage, you would take this word, and you would, you would work in our hearts that we would uh, not just listen to these words and, and think, oh, this is a great message for somebody, but we would change the way that we look at you. Help us to understand your scriptures and bring out your truth in our lives today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's start with the truth that comes from Hosea chapter 3 about God. Oh, Side note, I skipped these two. End result, because this is also helpful for over the next couple of weeks. End result, the Assyrian Empire comes in and uh, wipes out Israel. They, they made their way in. Israel's right next to the Mediterranean Sea right there. They took Israel and, and really just destroyed them, defeated them, just like God said that they were going to do uh, if they did not repent. So, spoiler alert, sorry. 
Uh, as, as we're looking at some of the prophets, we're going to see that Assyria comes in and wipes out Israel. Anybody left over, they got brought all the way back to Assyria, right? And they were brought into slavery. They were brought into uh, captivity. They were not in a good situation. A little while longer, so that Assyria 722 or so, uh, the Babylonian Empire somewhere around, uh, actually happened in a couple of different phases, but uh, the Babylonian Empire came in uh, eventually and took out Judah. So those little two uh, uh, tribes in the bottom part, they also went into exile. That happened later, around 586 uh, is when... Uh, we're looking at that. And so what we see is there are some prophets that came and spoke after they were returned. How did God reroute them? Long term, the Persian uh, rule happened after the Babylonian rule, and God actually uh, established a queen of Persia. We read about her in the Bible. She was a, as she was a, uh, an uh, Israeli. She was a Jew. She was uh, somebody who uh, God had shown favor and uh, impacted the Persian nation as well as uh, some of the way that they strategized with war. And so God brought the people of Israel back to their land. I meant to talk about that earlier, so sorry about derailing our, our conversation. But uh, this is helpful for you over the next few weeks to understand that some prophets actually happened after they returned from uh, captivity. All right, so Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Let's start with the truth that we see about God. Is that God lovingly leads. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Could you imagine being Hosea? Right? God's ultimately in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of Hosea's life. He's in control of the entire world. God is ultimately in control. We think oftentimes that God would want us to be happy. God wouldn't allow bad things to happen in our life. God wouldn't allow us to go through challenges. God wouldn't allow that. If God was all-powerful and he was loving, he wouldn't do those types of things. Test case, Hosea, right? Is God still in control during the time of Hosea? Yes. Does God allow tough things to happen to Hosea? Yes. All right, there's your test case. That's proven wrong, right? God is in control even when bad things happen to us, even when we go through challenges, even when things are so difficult and we're sitting there thinking, if God is in control, then he wouldn't allow this. The right answer is not that God wouldn't allow this. It's that God is doing something through it. God lovingly leads, and he's ultimately in control. And sometimes, sometimes it's just mind-blowing, right? To try to grasp God's knowledge and his sovereignty, and we only see a glimpse of some of these things. We don't see God's full knowledge. We don't see God's full sovereignty. We only see little pieces. And we try to, we try to channel that through our own lives, our own eyes. And the truth is, <laughs> we cannot grasp God's full sovereignty and his full control and his everything that God knows. God knows not only what will happen, what won't happen, he knows what could have happened if people responded differently, right? 
It's just mind-blowing to think about God and his knowledge. We see actually in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 1 verse 4, for he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight and love. He knew that I was going to be a sinner before he created the world. He knew that you were going to sin. He knew that there was going to be an alternative that he was going to have to create unless he was just going to let people ride in their sin. He knew Jesus was going to come to this earth. He knew Jesus was going to die on the cross. He knew that that penalty had to be paid through him. And he knew that before he said, let there be light. And if God knows these things, you think that in our lives that we're living in right now, God might have a plan figured out. Yet, God is faithfully pursuing us when we're sinners. God is faithfully pursuing us when we're broken. God is there to fix us. God is there to heal us. God is there for us. It's pretty amazing to think about that when we are so broken, God is rerouting. God is, has been rerouting throughout history. We've seen that through the people of Israel. We've seen that through his creation. God is rerouting, and he's pursuing us. God lovingly leads us. That means sometimes we're going to do things that we're not really comfortable with. Sometimes we're going to do things that we don't really understand. And sometimes God has a plan for us to go through really challenging and tough times. And God is there leading us all along the way. And God is faithfully pursuing us. God's last word in Hosea, let me, here's another spoiler alert. Uh, His last word in Hosea is not, oh, they pursued another Let's split, right? How sad would that be? If I was in my sin, if I was stuck in my sin and God said, I gave you a chance. Uh, It seems like we have irreconcilable differences here. It's just not going to work, right? That would be so frustrating. And God did not leave us there. God pursued us. God had a plan for us. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1. But God is lovingly leading us, and you see that in in Hosea. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Right? They're pursuing idols. They're pursuing other loves. They're pursuing relationships that they shouldn't. They're pursuing things that are clearly derailing their, their God's plan for them. And God doesn't say, yeah, they made their bed, let them lie in it. They're pursuing it. Okay, it's their own fault. I'm just going to wash myself clean, hands clean of this. That's not what God does. God is lovingly leading them by pursuing them and loving them uh, can you imagine being Hosea, right? It's hard for me not to, to bring this up when I, I think about the book of Hosea. God comes to Hosea, and he, he speaks to Hosea. Ima- imagine being able to hear the voice of God, right? And know that God is 
communicating to you to send this message to the people of Israel. That's pretty amazing, right? God comes to Hosea and he says, I've got a plan for you. You're going to be my mouthpiece. God chose me to be his mouthpiece. That's awesome, right? He's like, you're going to communicate to the people of Israel for me. And we're super excited. We're, 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 we're jumping up and down. We're like, yeah, God. <laughs> kind of giddy now, right? And God says, you're going to be my mouthpiece. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to give you an illustration to communicate to the people of Israel. All right. I love this. I, visuals. I, I'm, I'm a visual person, right? I don't even have to just sit there and speak. I get to be a, a visual. Here's the visual. You see that town over there? I want you to go find a woman to marry. All right! Jackpot! I get to marry a woman! Oh, by the way, I don't want you to marry just any woman. I've got at least a general idea for you. To make this illustration work, to make this visual real, you get to marry a prostitute. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, uh, God? <laughs> really, no. This is you? <laughs> yes, yes, you're going to marry a prostitute. Okay, all right. That's what you want me to do. I'll marry a prostitute. Just keep her at arm's length from me. We'll marry. We'll get this. We'll we'll have this agreement, and, and it'll be fine. No, 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 no. I don't want this just to be a, a contract. I don't want this to be agreement. You're gonna love her, and you're gonna pursue her, and she's gonna hurt you, and she's gonna choose to follow others. She's going to be in relationships with another man. And she's going to have children that aren't yours. That's what I'm going to do for you. You're going to be my mouthpiece. Right? When we're sitting in our lives and we're saying, oh man, I've got a tough job. I've got uh, my neighbors drive me crazy. My, my church, the, the guy that comes in and preaches occasionally, he, ugh. Right? <laughs> When we're finding ourselves in situations where we're like, this is so tough. Clearly, this is not what God's plan is for me. He wants me to go do something that's going to be easy and fun and make me happy. Right? That's not Hosea! And if God can do that in Hosea, he will do that in your life. He's got a plan for you. Even when things are tough, even when things are hard, even when we think we cannot handle this. Be faithful to God. Pursue him because he's pursuing you. Oh, and by the way, here's the, uh, the last straw, by the way. Her name's going to be Gomer. <laughs> Literally, that's her name, Gomer. I, I don't know. Poor guy. But God lovingly leads. 
that brings us to the truth about humanity. Humanity is prone to wander. Humanity leaves. Humanity is selfish. Humanity follows its own loves, its own desires. Humanity does not follow God. We've seen that time and time and time and time and time and time again. I spent five minutes talking about the the course of Israel's history and the creation. I only highlighted a few things. There were plenty of ways that they were prone to wander. Your heart is prone to wander. My heart is prone to wander. And we follow things that are not God's plan. Humanity leaves. I've heard people say uh, before, like, oh, God just wants you to be happy. God wants you to follow your heart. Right? Maybe you should just follow your heart. You should do the things that you, you desire. Right? Follow your heart. Here's what we see about the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Those are from Jeremiah 17, 9, right? Our heart is hard. Our heart is darkened. Our heart is full of sin. Our heart is corrupt. Our heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure on our own. It's only through Christ that this hard heart can be changed. Maybe you've heard it this way. Uh, John Calvin says, uh, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Imagine that, right? It's creating idols on a regular basis. We're putting in things that we worship that are not God. Sometimes I think it's hard to think about the people of Israel because they're following idols and they're like fashioning little things and like little horses and uh, I don't know, it's kind of like... Uh, the clown that's doing, like, the balloon animals, right? That's what the people of Israel were following, these little created things. And they're saying, oh, they're going to be my God. They're going to take care of me. They're, they're going to be the one that loves me. They're going to be the thing that is going to put food on my table. Isn't it going to be great? And God is saying, what are you doing? Some dude in a clown costume created that. Why are you worshiping this? Right? Man's heart, though, creates idols on a regular basis, and we do that too. We have sports teams. We have Netflix. I I was talking with Dan because the internet was going slow, and uh, one of the the greatest uh, bandwidth suckers right now is Netflix, and we put up our own little idol in our living room, and we sit and watch TV for hours upon end, right? And we're like, oh, it's okay, I deserve this. I've had a, a tough week, I've, I, right? And we, we create our own idols, and we pursue our own idols, and sometimes our idols are family, and sometimes our idols are our own self and our own desires and our jobs. And We're a factory of idols right here in our heart. Maybe you've heard it through the ears of, uh, or from the mouth of uh, Robert Zimmerman, Bob Dylan. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Our hearts pursue things to serve, and we serve those things. And whatever we put the most time into, those are the things that we're serving typically. Whatever we put the most money into, that's what we're serving most frequently, right? Hosea chapter 3 tells us about 
our propensity to wander. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another, and she's an adulteress, right? So there are people who are loving her, but she's also, her heart's not in it. She's pursuing adultery. She's pursuing the things that she shouldn't. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and they pursue the things that they shouldn't. What we see with Hosea is that people, humanity, leaves. We choose things that we shouldn't. And not only this, uh, because we definitely see this with Gomer, we see this in our own lives. Um, I think one of the reasons why this is true uh, is uh, brought to light to me by taking walks with my children, right? I have two children, one's three and the other one's turning two this week, right? And uh, we like to go on walks, not yesterday because I like to live too. And uh, <laughs> we're going on this walk or we're, we go on walks on a regular basis, whether it's, it's actually in the store, it's actually the worst in the store, or we're just going down the sidewalk. And, and walks for us are similar to this. Bethany, don't touch that. Bethany, don't pick that up. Ezra, don't eat that. Ezra, keep up. Come on. Bethany, this way, eyes focused. We're walking. Ezra, no, 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 Ezra, 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 don't touch that animal. No, it's dead, right? <laughs> That's what our walks look like. It's the worst in the stores, right? They go to grab everything, like, stop, 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 no, no, get, look, right? We, we've been working on our house, and we keep going to home improvement stores, and those are terrible for small children. <laughs> they just keep on grabbing things with sharp edges, and I'm like, ah, but that's how we are. We're prone to wander. Why? Because we're distracted. We're not focused. When we are saying, hey, we're going to go to the park, you know how fast our kids get there? <laughs> Instantly. Why? Because they love the park. They want to pursue that, that uh, direction that they're going. They love those things. When we find ourselves loving things that we uh, shouldn't love, when we find ourselves loving things that are not God, do you know what happens to us? Don't touch that. Don't grab that. That's sharp. You shouldn't do this. That's dead. It's, that is smelly. You shouldn't, right? And we find ourselves wandering, right? And we're like, that's what our life is like. When we fail to put God first in our love life, we wander. Now, sin has marred Gomer. Sin has marred their relationship. Hosea has to buy her back with what my guess is everything that he has. Why do I say that? Because he pays 15 shekels. That's silver, right? Some money. He pays 15 shekels for it, and then he's got to dig into the barley, right? If you had surplus money, you'd just be like, here, take a couple hundred dollars, right? But if you're like, take this and my car keys, right? That's everything you have. Here, here's my, my watch. Here's my, my jewelry take, right? Hosea had to dip into the barley. 
So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Don't really know how much that is. Best guess that people get is about another 15 shekels, right? You guys don't know what a shekel is, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's just say it's a significant amount. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Their relationship took a wrong turn through her, the, the sins that she pursued. God knew this was happening all along. God orchestrated it. God used it as an illustration. God showed the people of Israel, this is what you are doing. You are pursuing loves that you should not pursue, but I'm going to pay a price for you to get you back. And what was that price that that God paid for us? He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, and he paid that penalty for us, and it was a hefty price. God lovingly leads when we're prone to wander, when humanity leaves, even when our sin mars our relationship, God still pursues us, just like Hosea pursued his wife. He tells her to turn away from other lovers. Brothers and sisters, turn away from your other lovers. Whatever you have going on in your life that is distracting you from God, whatever you have, it is not greater than a relationship with God. I don't care if you need to have a bonfire in your backyard and let things burn. I don't care if you need to have a huge garage sale and sell some stuff. I don't care if you need to uh, readjust your priorities. Your loves that are drawing you away from God are not going to be healthy for you. Not now. Not when things cool down. Not in a few months, in a few years. They will never be good for you. Your relationship with God, your love for God. When you keep your mind focused on your love for God and you are no longer distracted by the things of this world, you will have so much joy. And you will have a relationship with God that will not be tainted. So how do we overcome our propensity to leave, to wander to turn to other loves, it's by the principle that I have for you. It actually comes from Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. Hosea chapter 2, verse 16 says this, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master. A master relationship with somebody, you are a, the, the master and they are a servant. You are a master, they are a slave. You are a, uh, a boss and they are a worker, right? Whatever you want to put that in, that is the bare minimum for your relationship with God. There are other areas of the New Testament that calls Jesus Lord, right? And, and there, there are instances when, when we can look at God and say, you know, he is in control and I am not. I am a slave, I am a servant, I am, I am humble and lowly, and he is in control. But it should not stop there. If your relationship with God is out of duty or obligation, then you will never have the loving relationship that God has for you. He's pursuing you, but you're still following other loves. You will always follow those other loves. And so when you look at this, make God your love, not your master. If you make God your love and not your master, those other things that are drawing you away, they will become 
insignificant, unimportant. If your relationship with God ended with obligation, it would be similar to a husband being required by contract to buy his wife flowers once every two or twice every year, right? Every six months, you are required to buy me flowers. It's in our contract. Before I say I do, this is what's going on, right? Wives, how would you feel about that? Eh, it's probably nice still. It's nice that they get flowers. That's not love. That's obligation. That's duty. I'm required to show up to church 48 times out of 52 weeks. No, 40, no. what should I put in here, right? If, if we were doing things out of obligation, out of duty, it would become insignificant. You would start forgetting. Eventually, your phone, your calendar, your whatever schedule you're working on, I'm putting flowers on the table twice a year, something is going to screw up and you are going to make a mistake. And you're going to forget because it's out of duty and obligation and not out of love. But if you love God like a husband and a husband loves a wife like he should, he buys flowers because he loves her, not because he has to, but because he wants to show her love. Here's some chocolates. Why? Because I love you, right? That's, that's so much better than Well, based on our agreement 13 years ago, (laughs) I am required by obligation to give you flowers and chocolates on this day. So I could have waited at least one more day, so you should be pretty impressed with me that I I did it the day before I had to. Yeah, before six months. Yes! Right? For some of us, That's how we view our relationship with God. We've got the Ten Commandments, we've got the Law, we've got the Old Testament, we've got a few things in the New Testament. As long as we follow those things, as long as we pursue those things, then we're fine. You're never going to find joy. You're never going to find the love that God has for you. You're never going to see the pursuit that God is on for you. You will never enjoy coming to church. You will never truly enjoy worship. You will never truly enjoy everything that God has for you on this world. And it won't be until your eyes are opened in the next life (laughs) that you will see the love that God has had for you all along. Don't treat God like a duty, like a list of contractual obligations. Love God like a husband. Make God your love and not your master. God lovingly leads even when things are difficult. Humanity is prone to lead, not our master. Start your day talking to God, just like you would talk to a spouse. Call him in the middle of the day. Check in with him. Ask him what you can do. Ask him how things are going. Spend time in his word. Get to know him. Figure out what he likes and what he doesn't like. And finish your day talking with them, sharing your struggles and your complaints and your frustrations. If you love God like you would love a lover, you want to get to know him better. It's my challenge for you. And if you put this principle into practice, those other things 
will start seeming insignificant. God, we love you. Not nearly as much as you love us. And our heart is prone to wander. And we pursue things that we shouldn't pursue. And just like the people of Israel, we find ourselves following other loves. Our hearts become idol factories and we're fornicators of our our worship. God, I pray that this would not be true of us, that we, you would begin to change in us and get rid of those things in our life that are keeping us from following you. We pray, God, that we would pursue you and that we would see how you're pursuing us. God, I pray that our church would make you our love and not our master. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And sing. Let's